Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of Sourcefine Asia, Coast Main Channel Podcast, and the host of the Sourcefine Asia YouTube channel, of course, back with another podcast. In this episode, I interviewed Andrew Smith. He's an entrepreneur. He basically helps businesses with cross-culture communication. So he's a communication specialist. His story is very similar to my story and very similar to a lot of expats that I know in terms of how they came to Asia. I would say expats, anyone from you know the 90s all the way up to the mid 2010s, even late 2010s to a certain extent. I think it happens less so now, but um, there's definitely still a lot of people that come to Asia on uh, you know a teaching program or an exchange and then end up staying and teaching English. So that's basically what he did. He taught English in Northern China and ended up parlaying that into living in various other countries like Thailand and such. So, And then obviously kind of fell into entrepreneurship after that. So, I, I mean, some people, it's a little bit more strategic. Like for myself, I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So when I came to, to China, I was like, I because I, I, I knew people like Andrew Smith who had come to China, taught English, stayed and become entrepreneurs. For me, I was now using that to my advantage in the sense of like, oh, okay, I've seen people do this before, so I could probably do the same thing. So uh, it was interesting talking to him about that and just talking about the cultural differences between you know the West and the East. And I, even within the East, even within Asia, I think a lot of people generalize, and I do as well, but um, less so now that I've lived in China, I've lived in the Philippines, I've traveled to you know a bunch of other Southeast Asian locations. There are similarities between a lot of the countries, but there are also differences, very big differences culturally. So, for example, you know, Chinese culture, face is important, but I would say face is even more important in the Philippines, for example, because I feel like the Philippines is a less confrontational country. In China, it is somewhat confrontational, but it's in a kind of unique way. Like, you know, you might people might get heated, they might raise their voice a little bit um they might talk aggressively but they're not really being aggressive if that makes sense whereas like in the philippines everyone's very kind of like passive in the way they communicate it's a lot of passive comments and you know so it's like things like that like i've noticed just from being around different countries and being around different business types so yeah i think this is an interesting episode for anybody that is interested in learning a little bit more about cross-culture communication andrew smith does one-on-one coaching as well so if you're going to reach out to him he uh his contact information will be on the podcast page that's resource.com slash made in china and i think he mentions it as well in the podcast so without further ado enjoy i don't want to be a product of my environment i want my environment to be a product of me When you meet somebody in a social setting, how do you how do you answer the question? What do you do? I tend to stay away from the title because I think it can be sometimes a bit confusing. So you know, in short, I tell them that you know I help business professionals who work globally, but mostly within the Asian region to communicate and collaborate and really understand their international partners better. So that's what I do. I might then go on to tell them my, my title. 
as an international business communications trainer. And, you know, like I said, I focus mostly on communication skills, language skills, and cross-cultural skills. And yeah, you know, my clients can come from anywhere in the world and they have done over the past nine years across, you know, three different continents. But now most of my time and focus is in this, the Asia region. So, I mean, you mentioned before we started that you've lived in Asia for a while. When did you first come to Asia and and why? Uh, So I finished my degree in the UK, I think it was in 2011. And I wanted to travel. Um, I wanted to see different places. And I was drawn to Thailand originally. I'd never been to Asia before anywhere in Asia. And, you know, I'm a fan of hot weather and I love Thai food. So I thought, why not? I got a teaching job out there at a local secondary school in Chompon, which is at the very top of the south of China, if that makes sense. So it's just about to, you know, bordering between the the middle and the, the south. And there I worked at a secondary school. I was there for three years. But, you know, during my time there as well, I had some business professionals, Thai business professionals, who asked me for, you know, private language and communication training. Um, As Thailand is a very big, you know, tourist destination, especially for Westerners, it was needed that they were able to have good communication and good language skills um, so they could do better business and cooperate uh, more effectively with their Western counterparts. And after about three years, I then moved to Bali in Indonesia for one year. And there I was working online, mostly working with business professionals through a business English platform. And I was in Indonesia for one year before I moved on. But yeah, in total, four years I was in Southeast Asia and you know, I had the opportunity to you know, go and visit many different countries such as Malaysia, um, Singapore, Myanmar. I uh, don't think I ever went to Cambodia, but I got the chance to visit some pretty cool countries and see some of the different cultures. And I found the, the different languages and the different ways of communicating and doing business really interesting because they were very varied from one country to another. So that was really interesting to see. And yeah, I think I was there for four years and it was a, it was a great experience all in all. Where are you now? I'm in the UK right now in the south of the UK in a county or state called uh, Devon which is almost at the very bottom of the country. I came back from Brazil, of course, due to the global pandemic, I needed to be close to family. And I plan on having you know, a base here in the UK, but I want to spend as much time as possible traveling again. And I do have the plan to return to Asia in the near future once the dust has settled a little bit. And I would love the chance to do some talks and, you know, really help more people. So that's my plan. But right now I'm, I'm based in the UK. That's awesome, man. So, uh, I mean, a lot of the places that you mentioned I've, I've traveled to 
Uh, I was recently in Bali before the pandemic. Um, and also the one of the similarities I noticed is teaching English. I think as an entry, teaching English in China is a, is a good entry point for a lot of people to Asia. Can you talk about your experiences teaching English? Yeah, so like I said, I, I started you know, nine years ago where I was teaching in Thailand and it was a great experience. I never... I never thought that it would continue for as long as it had, but, you know, I like to make a difference and, um, you know, I like to educate and share my knowledge with people. And yeah, it was like you said, it was a great entry point for me um, because the, what the language training did was it got me interested in the, the broader kind of aspects of international communication. Um, I started working with business professionals. I started to study and observe cross-cultural differences in communication. I started, of course, now looking into virtual communication. So it really opened the doors to, to many different interesting things that I now incorporate as part of my you know, online courses and as part of my training. So yeah, it was really the, the eye-opener or the, the thing that kind of started my, my interest and passion in, in communication. And... Yeah, you know, it's very relevant. It's the world's, um, you know, the business language of the world or the global language. I don't see that changing anytime soon. And it was great to teach people a different way to communicate and a great way to share culture, um, to share understanding and to really make a difference. So, yeah, it played a big role in my professional and personal life, to be honest. When, when you were teaching English and going through that, that time in your life, was the goal always to go into entrepreneurship? If no, then at what's, at what was the moment when you realized like, oh, I can actually become an entrepreneur from, from the skill set and, and the need for this? Well, to be honest, the, and in answer to the first question, I had absolutely zero intention in becoming a business owner or entrepreneur. Um, I'd never even thought about it, to be completely honest with you. The first situation that kind of set off a light in my head was when I was living in Germany. And there I was working for a communication slash language school in the east of Germany in a small city called Halle. And there I had the uh, chance to work for many great companies and be part of lots of interesting projects. And I would watch my, my manager or my owner and kind of started to understand how the business worked and about acquiring clients and about marketing and admin and sales and everything else. And it really intrigued me. Um, I thought, well, you know, if this person can do it, then why can't I? And I had the idea and then the idea kind of dissipated after a while because I didn't even know where to start, to be completely honest. I, I had no idea where to start or how to set up or how to go about it. And it was about, I'd say my third year in Germany, I started um, paying attention to that again and thinking about it again. And I went online and I looked for courses. I started reading a lot more. And I started, you know, doing daily things that would, you know, eventually maybe come to become a business. I started publishing, you know, free 
articles and materials and things online and on social media. And I started to watch how other teachers had set up their own businesses and other communication trainers. And it's just been a working process from there, really, um, from there onwards up until now. But, you know, from the very start, I had no intention in becoming a business owner. I just knew one thing. And the one thing I was sure of is that I couldn't, I, I can't work in an office, you know, for a, a big corporate company all of my life. Anyway, I have done in the past, but definitely something I wouldn't want to do forever. That's me personally. I know other people are different. But, you know, I like to be out meeting people. I like to be exploring new cultures, new languages, new ways to communicate and collaborate and, you know, make friendships and business relationships. And, yeah, I think that it took a while, but it eventually was there, instilled in my head. And now it's going good. It's going well. But I would never have imagined it, you know, a few years ago if someone had said to me, so, yeah, that's the story of the background story of it anyway. I'm always curious about that. Like, uh, for me, it was a very, a very conscious decision to move to Asia to start a company. But I know a lot of people that kind of just fall into it. I also think there is an aspect of being in Asia and just seeing, because I feel like the, the, the percentage of entrepreneurs in Asia is probably higher than in the west like from a local standpoint like everybody has like an online shop or you know some sort of store or some sort of side hustle even if they have like a nine to five so i definitely think there's a there's an influence there what were some of your earliest struggles with with setting up the business or starting the business rather that's a good question i would say that the biggest struggle was probably the mindset the shift in mindset from somebody who worked for a company to a business owner. I think it, it entails a, a whole new mindset, a new way of thinking about things, not only thinking about your business and how you know, business works, but also yourself. So I definitely think you know, the, the, the shift of mindset was one of the biggest struggles. You know, and I overcame them by surrounding myself with like-minded individuals who were doing the same thing. Um, I was, I've been fortunate enough to have a few very great mentors in my time who have kind of been there, done that, got the t-shirt sort of thing. And I've been able to learn from them and, you know, take inspiration. And that really helped me overcome that issue. But, you know, I think ultimately it comes down to yourself. I think only you as the individual can really be uh, in charge of that that mindset that new mindset that you have to take when you um, set up your own business the second thing i would say is probably time management as you know you know if you're an entrepreneur if you're a business owner you have a lot of different tasks and a lot of different areas and projects to keep on top of so to be completely honest back when i was a kid i was never great at time management I hated schedules. I hated calendars and, you know, to-do lists and all that rubbish. But, you know, especially when I started to set up shop myself, I realized that, you know, how important it was. And, you know, I had to read a lot of books and I took some courses and a lot of trial and error um, to overcome that. And it's taken years and I'm still, you know, I'm still learning now in how to manage my time better. But 
I've been lucky enough as well to, you know, read a lot of great books, which I will recommend later on, on time management. And I would say the final thing is just learning, you know, new skills. When I was working for a company, I didn't know anything about marketing or course design or, you know, administration or sales or anything like that. So, you know, I had to learn a completely new range of of skills and uh, things that, you know, I really needed to know in order for my business to work. And, you know, again, similar to the time management, these are things that I'm still improving on. And yeah, it's, it's, it's an ongoing process, but I would say the mindset time management and learning so many new things were the earliest business struggles and are still struggles, you know, to this day, to some extent. So yeah, I would say those three. Yeah, I can definitely relate to hating schedules. I I was, when I was in high, when I was in high school and college, I, I hated (laughs) <laughs> having to be on a set schedule but then you know at some stage you start to embrace it and you realize that you know the key to to business is, is consistency and and the only way to be consistent is to have a schedule and now I, I love having a schedule I kind of feel um, disheveled or you know uncomfortable and I'm not following my schedule you mentioned surrounding yourself with like-minded people and also um, mentors a question I get asked a lot is how does one get a mentor? So was it a conscious thing or did you kind of fall into it? How did you, how did you end up securing mentors or surrounding yourself with like-minded people? You know what? Again, I, I just fell into it completely. I really did. I, it was nine, not nine years ago. It was about five years ago now, four, uh, five or six years ago that I was on the internet and I can't remember how I came across it, but I was introduced to an American guy called Chris who, you know, had, he set up his own communication language center in Russia. And, um, you know, he kind of been in my position before. Um, I don't know if it was, you know, an advert or if it was uh, just a website that I was on. And, you know, I started to follow him and listen to some of the things he was saying on on YouTube and on social media. And it really resonated with me. And I got in touch and we we had a call. And, you know, I've been kind of working alongside him for for a good few years now. And yeah, I think that was just something that just really came to me. I've been very lucky in that aspect that I've managed to meet such great people. And, you know, there have been other people as well who, you know, other mentors that I've worked with that have really helped me understand what it means to run um, a business by yourself and what it takes to succeed. But I think, you know, when looking for a mentor, it's important to find somebody that is as similar to you as possible, you know, that is maybe in the same industry or at least in the same niche and, you know, has made all of the mistakes in the past and has learned from them and, you know, someone that you can kind of learn those skills and that wisdom from so you don't you know also make the same mistakes as well but yeah I mean like I said I I was just extremely lucky that I came across this person or these people and um, I think a really good way to go about it for anybody that you know is interested in in getting a mentor or a coach is to join relevant groups on social media, on Facebook and LinkedIn. 
And yeah, you know, like you said, to surround yourself with like-minded people. I think when you do that, it will kind of come to you itself. But when you're always part of different organizations and networks and groups and events, I think that when you do that and you expose yourself to more people, it will just kind of fall on your lap in some way. I think you still have to keep your eye open, but it will come to you a lot quicker and a lot easier as well. I think it's also just like, you know, just showing up and being in the right places and making yourself available. I think a lot of times people kind of sit around expecting things to happen. But, you know, if you actually go places and you meet people, if you go to entrepreneurship events, make an effort to talk to people, uh, you'll, you'll eventually meet somebody that maybe is a little bit ahead of you, but you have some sort of connection and, and maybe you can pick their brain or become friends first and, and then they'll probably naturally want to help you. We talked about the earliest business struggles. What was, what's been your proudest entrepreneurship moment today? Um, I think other than helping my clients reach their goals and communicate better and more confidently and effectively, I think for me personally, it's been able to prioritize and to focus on the only thing the only things that matter you know one of uh, a great book that i read by tim ferris called the four hour work week i don't know if you've ever heard of it uh, it's quite a controversial read because some people think it's great other people well, think I, it's I say it's it's the location independent bible i think it's probably one of the most famous entrepreneurship books out there yeah yeah absolutely and you know he that was one thing that I really, really, really struggled with was prioritizing tasks. And I think it's something that everyone struggles with to some degree, especially, you know, entrepreneurs or business owners. You often find yourself, you know, decluttering your Gmail or, you know, tweaking the fonts on your website, doing all of the small things. And when I read Tim Ferriss's book, it was like, you know, he introduced uh, Pareto's principle, the 80, uh, 2080 rule, the 80-20 rule. And, you know, I looked at my, my tasks and my work in a completely different way. And I was really able to home in on doing the things that, you know, only really matter, only kind of pull me closer to my goals. And that was, that's something that has, you know, gotten me large results in the sense that I'm now working more efficiently and more uh, productively. And... I'm kind of cutting out all of the noise, the background noise. And that's been really helpful. And, you know, that has trickled down onto my clients because, you know, I've been spending time, you know, helping them reach their goals and helping them improve their communication skills. You know, when, you know, when I first started out, maybe I was doing different things that maybe I shouldn't have been or things that weren't kind of getting results for my clients so I would say that just, again, that shift in mindset and being able to prioritize and focus on only what matters um, has gotten me the largest results so far. Yeah, I mean, I've been part of many great projects as well in the past. You know, back in 2015, I completed a 12-month project with Siemens in Leipzig, Germany where the my German clients were delivering online job training to their Indian colleagues for or in preparation for the new Siemens plant to open in New Delhi. So my German clients had to deliver extensive job training online 
to their Indian colleagues in English. And that was a huge challenge. And, you know, after the 12 months was up, the project was a success. The plant opened smoothly and there were no real major issues. You know, it all kind of went as well as it as well as it could have done. And being part of that was, you know, meant that I was able to watch as this, you know, this new plant in, in New Delhi opened successfully. So that was that was another great, you know, achievement for me as well, professionally. Yeah, I mean, the four hour work week, I think, for me as well, it's a, it was a fundamental book. I read it when in my first year, second year of college, second year of college back in 2010. And it, it shifted my whole perspective of what success was and how to achieve success. Because before that, I was always like thinking, oh, you know, you have to be a multi, multi millionaire or, you know, you, you want to become a billionaire. Like you just like uh, you fantasize about that and you think that's what success is. And the way he laid it out in the book saying, you know, if would you rather be making, you know, $200,000 a year and be a lawyer that's working, you know, 18 hours a day and stuck in one location? Or would you rather make $60,000 a year and be able to live in any country and, you know, uh, be location independent and, and move whenever you want to? And it's like, you'd obviously want the, the latter. Well, most people would want the latter because you have the freedom and you still get to live you know, very uh, a very fun and attractive lifestyle. So that was that was super important. And of course, he gives you all the tools and tips in terms of productivity because I think that's that's sort of what I mean. That's the whole basis of the book, right? It's narrowing down the tasks that are mundane, that are repetitive, that you can then outsource or automate to allow yourself to have more free time, and, and focusing on the things that are you know the most important and not the you know the tiny little details that don't really make much of a difference right yeah i think there's one thing that he said at the, i think it was at the beginning of the book that really i thought was so true you know he talks about this idea of laziness that we live in this culture where you know if we're not busy then we're lazy if we're not working you know 12 14 hours a day then we're lazy and you know we we kind of live in this eight hour society where it's like you know you go to work at nine you finish at five that is a work day but, you know, nobody really questions, well, you know, what are you doing in those eight hours? And is what you're doing productive? And is what you're doing effective? And that, I think, is, again, it's a big mind shift because I think we do live in this culture. You know, when you tell somebody, oh, you know, I work four hours a week or I work two hours a day, you know, they'll look at you and just think, well, you're lazy. And it's like, well okay, you work for four hours or you work twice as many hours as I do, but what are you doing in those hours? You know, if I can get, if I can produce the same results in a shorter amount of time, then, you know, what is time? Uh, why does that matter? And I think, I think with the four-hour work week, for me anyway, it was definitely a book I had to read twice. Well, in fact, the first time I read it, I kind of dismissed it and thought, that's a little garbage, you know, it's not true, it won't work for me. And I read it again with a kind of fresh mind and a more open mind and, and it just kind of clicked. And I think that's the case for some books that, you know, you kind of have to read it two times or three times maybe to really kind of understand it and be able to connect with it. So that was my experience with the book anyway, but yeah, brilliant, brilliant read. Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, the, the premise and then the name of the book kind of puts them off. But I, I think the whole concept 
is really the deeper concept is just like you said, being efficient with your time and, and optimizing your time and making sure that you're not just wasting time on mundane things and just realizing that, yeah, you can automate a lot of things and, and you can make your life more simple. And that's just a more efficient way of living. You can still choose to work 12 hours a day, even if you have optimized your business, you can do other things. You can um, try to drive the business forward in other ways. But yeah, I think that I think everybody should take those tenants. And, and I, I think he even talked about it later on. He's like, I'm not saying that that entire time I was working four hours a week, like it was, it, I could have worked four hours a week, but I was probably working six, seven, you know, six hours a day or four hours a day. Like it, it just, it was, it was the aspect of having the freedom to do that. That That's what he was basically trying to get across and, and trying to get people to think a little bit differently in terms of how they approach their business, and their life. Right. Yeah. So I think obviously you've talked about what you do in, in terms of the, the culture and mindset and stuff like that, but can you talk about your current business? How does it work? Who your clients are? How do you work with your clients? So at the moment <clears throat> I do, it's mainly online training and online coaching. So me and my clients will meet usually once to twice a week on zoom where we will work on their language, their communication and their cross-cultural skills. I always encourage my clients to bring the work that they are currently working on into the sessions. So, you know, what we're working on is completely relevant to what they're doing in their, their real life. Or their business. So you can steal those business ideas. <laughs> Pardon, sorry? Have them bring in their work so you can steal those business ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. Um, no, I mean, you know, there's, you know, the, I think with a lot of companies, with all companies, really, it's not allowed. But, you know, we, we go through the, the topics and, the, you know, the, the nature of the tasks that they have to complete. Um, but, you know, we don't, we don't take anything like that. But, you know, we will meet once or twice a week and we will just kind of work on the small and specific areas that they struggle the most with when communicating, which might be meetings, presentations. It might be just making small talk and socializing with different cultures and different nationalities. And, you know, especially now with how huge remote working has got and, you know, virtual communication, being able to do all of that online requires a whole new skill set and I think people were completely unprepared for it and I think that is going to be a very big thing in the future remote working I know that Facebook have recently said that even after COVID-19 they're trying to you know keep this whole remote working policy in place so some companies are really embracing it and my clients as well, you know, travel is not permitted at the moment in most cases. Um, so, you know, a lot of meetings are held online. A lot of presentations are held online. And I think that there are some things that we can do to really help us connect with our audience um, when using this new medium, this technology to communicate. So, yeah, I'd say it, it's training. It's also, I guess, consulting as well, because we, I mean, I'm giving them advice and help with specific areas. The, the course plans are extremely flexible. 
you know, I think sometimes the uh, my clients will have like a last minute meeting that they need to prepare for, or, or it might be a last minute presentation. So we might have to shift direction and work on that. And that's something I pride myself on with my work is is being uh, having the ability to be flexible and to adapt. And again, you know, to really focus on what matters. I know a lot of trainers and coaches, they are very, they're very general and you know, that's okay. But, you know, when we're working, we only really want to work on what really matters and what the client really needs and uses in their work life. So yeah, in short or in summary, that's probably kind of what I'm focusing on right now and what I'm doing. Most of my clients are from the Asia region. Most of them are based in Taiwan, Hong Kong, um, with one or two in Southeast Asia as well. And yeah, I think it's a, a very important time, especially in Asia right now with, you know, with the way that China is kind of taking their place as the world's superpower. I think the the need to do good business and to have great communication, good cross-cultural skills is of utmost importance, particularly in Asia, in the Asia region, if not for everywhere else in the world. So, you know, it's my job to just help prepare my clients for this this new way of doing business right this this global way of doing business most of your clients are in in the asia region uh, or from the asia region are they typically dealing with western clients so you're typically teaching them how to communicate in uh, with western business uh, western customers or western business partners some of them, yes. Um, I have one or two clients that work very closely with uh, Germans. I help them understand how it is to do business with the Germans, which is very different to maybe how they might do business in their home country. But, you know, a lot of my clients or most of my clients are doing business in the Southeast Asia region, a lot in Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand. And, you know, having spent four years of my life living in this continent, you know, I, I really kind of understand how these kinds of people do business and, you know, what they expect and what they want and what they need. But yeah, I would say most of them are doing business in, in Southeast Asia, but also in Europe as well, you know, in countries such as Germany and the UK and France. So I think most people have a general idea of the differences between Eastern and, and Western business i think but, but there's like a generalization in terms of you know the east all being the same what are some of the differences you've noticed for example with you know like uh, the different countries in, in asia how they do things or how they communicate business wise i well i, I think first of all um, i mean i'm going to give an example of when i was in thailand and one of the earliest experiences i had I think that in the US and in you know Europe and the West in general, it's okay to call someone out, or not to call someone out, but if your boss or if your manager or of your senior colleagues, you know, make a mistake or maybe they suggest something that you think you can maybe we can maybe improve on or do better, I think we're very vocal in, in expressing our real kind of opinions on, on how business should be done. And I think that it's normal for us to kind of accept this and embrace it. And I think that the technical word to use is it's not as, 
the hierarchies are not as you know strictly in place as what they are in in Asia and in Southeast Asia. Whereas in Thailand, where face is very important, and I know in China it's like that as well, face and honor is is vital in society. And to question somebody who has a higher position than you in the company, um, and to maybe suggest that there's a new or potentially better way of doing things that can really offend, upset, and um, you know really damage that working relationship you have with that person. I made that mistake when I started my job in Thailand because it was just what I was used to. But I quickly realized and, and learned that there are other ways to go about it, maybe pulling them to one side and maybe suggesting it or maybe writing it and sending a letter or a note. But it's, it's something that's very different. I think in Europe, we're very open in kind of criticizing or giving constructive criticism to others, even our managers, you know, or in a meeting. And, you know, we kind of like to throw different ideas around, whereas in Asia, it's not, or at least in Thailand and, and Indonesia and a lot of countries in Southeast Asia, it's not as, it's not common. It's not considered the norm or acceptable to do that because if somebody has a higher social status than you, then it is just accepted that, you know, they are maybe smarter or more intelligent or more capable or more skilled and to question their capabilities or to suggest to them a new way of doing things means that you are questioning their competence so if any uh, westerner or european comes to do business in thailand or you know in other countries in southeast asia i would say that's definitely something to look out for and like i said there are other ways to kind of go about it rather than bringing it up in front of a group um, because i think the way that they see it it's kind of almost like public humiliation you know and that was something that i experienced when when i first moved to asia and, you know, this experience, as well as others, that really got me interested in cross-cultural communication and training as well. Because I remember when I made this mistake, there was this god-awful atmosphere in the office for weeks afterwards. And it was just, you know, you could cut the tension with a knife. I mean, it wasn't pleasant to work in at all. And, you know, it took a while to, to repair that, that relationship. So it's definitely something I wouldn't recommend anybody going through you know there's that i think as well the way that i think asians are more relationship orientated i think that you know everybody is kind of more they work together more as a community and it's like one person's success isn't just that individual success it's the group success whereas i think in you know the west and in europe we are slightly more individualistic and, you know, the work that we do um, is a reflection on the individual, you know, really only the, the main praise or the main, um, the main recognition is, is just for the individual as opposed to the whole group. Um, so I would say that's something that's very different as well. And yeah, I, I think that having worked with Chinese speaking people in the past and currently as well, I think that that's very much so in a lot of Asian cultures where it is more relationship orientated as opposed to task orientated. I agree. And you said you have uh, a downloadable PDF that we can link up on the show notes. 
Yeah, so I have written a, or I've created a top tip guide where what I've done is really condensed seven of the biggest pieces of advice and wisdom that I can share with non-native English speakers who are working in a global business setting and are using English and are dealing with different cultures. And I've just kind of picked out seven of the most important pieces of advice, the biggest tips that I can give to um, non-native English speakers or business professionals when working globally that will really help them understand what it means to communicate and speak in English in a global setting and some things also to maybe be aware of or to stay away from, which I think a lot of people uh, don't always think about. So it's definitely worth a read if you have a spare two minutes. Yeah, we'll definitely link that up on the show notes on the website. So just moving into some of my the, some of the closing questions, where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years of this business? In the next five to 10 years, I would like to put all of my training online. You know, at the moment, I'm mainly working one-on-one with clients, but I'd like to develop a suite of evergreen or, you know, content or programs that people can access anywhere and anytime to really, you know, deliver great value, really make a change and you know, really help them improve their language and communication skills. I'm not so interested in kind of setting up a brick and mortar language center or school as such. I think that the way with the future is going is definitely online. But, you know, I'd also plan to speak at some great events. I have the plan to go to you know, different conferences, particularly in the Asia region or the Southeast Asia region, and to just continue helping people, you know, learn the importance of communication and language and what it means to to kind of like build those relationships with the, the clients and colleagues. So yeah, bringing, bringing all of the programs and bringing everything online, but also, you know, just doing my best to release content and help other people uh, understand the importance of communication. You kind of touched on this earlier, but what is the smallest thing you've done that's brought you the largest results in your business? So Pareto's 80-20 principle. Yeah, so I, I would I would say that that is probably the the smallest thing I've done. I would say another thing as well is just releasing content, releasing weekly content. You know, sharing. You know, I can do this from my office or from my bedroom or wherever. But you know, something that might take me only half an hour can really make a big difference to my clients and to my audience if they you know see it online and they're able to apply that then you know it can uh, it can have a big a big impact and a big change you know something that is maybe small for me which might be delivering a coaching session or you know doing a webinar you know the the knowledge that the audience or the clients get from you know that session or from that webinar you know might enable them to sign a huge deal you know make a lot of money get get a promotion and I know in the past, you know, some of the clients that I have worked with have got promotions and have climbed up the corporate ladder, you know, partly due to their improvement in their language and communication skills. So, you know, just me sharing the knowledge and, you know, what I know and what I've learned and what I've studied, you know, can really help somebody progress in their career, make more money, have a more productive 
productive and happier life and a more stress-free life. Um, and that's, that's really, you know, at the crux of what I do. With all the people that I've interviewed, I think you're the first person who mentioned applying the Pareto's principle as the smallest thing they've done that's brought them the largest results in their business. Three books, podcasts, or blogs uh, that people can read or listen to to understand you better. Uh, of course, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug Tim Ferriss, The 4-Hour Workweek. I think it's important for anyone, whether they're an entrepreneur or not, or working for a company. I also love the book by Donald Miller, Building a Story Brand. That was a really great read. Blogs, if you're interested in culture, I would highly recommend The Culture Mastery by Christian Hoffel. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. He's a German-born American, and he does a lot of uh, he does great podcasts on cultural, cross-cultural training, cultural differences in business. I listen to his podcast sometimes, and it's it's really good stuff that he's got on there. There's another podcast on YouTube called The Graham Cochran Show. He is an American based in Florida, and he talks about entrepreneurship and uh, membership sites, online programs and such. And, you know, he talks a lot about having different streams of income. Um, and what, he's, what he talks about is really great. For language and communication learners, I would say the BBC Business Daily is great. Um, the BBC in general has uh, so many great resources for language and communication learners. And from what I believe, it is free. So I would say that for my clients. And this isn't really about business as such, but my favorite podcast of all time uh, to, for people to understand me better definitely has to be the Joe Rogan experience on YouTube. I think you by Spotify. So yep. That's it. Awesome. And what is the best way for people to reach out to you? You can connect with me on LinkedIn or email me at info at ascom.page. And yeah, feel free to download my free communication guide as well. Yeah, as we mentioned, all that stuff will be linked up in the show notes on the website. If you want to reach out to us, that's podcast at sourcefindasia.com. Uh, if you want to check out the show notes, that's sourcefindasia.com slash made in China. And of course, sourcefindasia on the YouTube channel. To check out our videos Andrew thanks for being on man yeah no problem thanks very much for having me You shopping on canal. Yeah. I guess it makes sense. It seems phony as your style. Your hair and your nails just as phony as your smile. Fake eyelashes, you drew your eyebrows. And make a brother ass. Do you pride yourself? You make up like a mask, try to hide yourself. It seems on the outside, you thinking you the shit. But it's a soul that's inside that you ain't even knew exists. So you so out of touch that the world mistreats you. Rich niggas fuck you.